everybody, it's Amy, coming at you from my recording closet. So, I've been sitting here for a few hours, writing and recording, trying to figure out what to say and how to introduce my next guest. And as most of you know, I'm extremely transparent. I'm very real, put my pants on, one leg at a time, just like you do. I clean stalls every day, I do chores, I ride horses, I legitly have nine crazy-ass barn cats. I love my dog more than I do most people. A few years ago, when I came across my next guest on social media, I found myself scrolling through her page probably longer than I'm willing to admit to the world. But I realized she's just as transparent as I am, and I felt this immediate connection, and I knew I had to have her on my show. Maggie Polonsik and her horse Puff Ain't Seen Me Yet, who was sired out of the famous stallion Ain't Seen Nothing Yet, have won damn near everything they've entered. She's gritty, she's humble, And I don't think I've ever met someone with so much eagerness to do better, to learn more, and to do everything for their horses possible. And when I say everything, you'll understand why when you listen to this episode. We talk a lot about human and horses fitness, like fitting this taco into my mouth. (laughs) Totally kidding. I don't think that would be approved by WOCO. Well, uh, I guess it depends on how many tacos we're talking about. I'll let you discover for yourself. Find out more after this commercial break. This podcast is brought to you by WOCO, a weight loss and performance training program for Western women designed to help you reach your goals inside and outside of the arena. To find out if you are a good fit for the program, go to WOCO.com. When I went through Jamie's program myself, I gained way more than I bargained for. In our first session together, she asked me, what's your goal? I said back, I just want to fit back into my gosh dang pants again. And that's no joke. Not only can I fit back into those pants, but I had to go buy all new ones because they're all too big. Yes. Jamie taught me that my body needs carbs, which I love. And I need to listen to my hunger cues and be prepared to feed them. And always have an emergency dinner in the freezer for those long days when you fail at life and you don't want to fail at dinner. Jamie's a registered dietitian and an accomplished 1D barrel racer, so she totally gets it. Go to woco.com and use code Amy10, that's W-H-O-A-A-C-O.com and use my code for any service. it's Amy. I want to tell you a little something. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm assuming you have horses. Maybe not barrel racing horses. You might just have a backyard pet, but either way, they're our best friends. And performance horses are athletes, and we ask a lot of them. Draw It Out is an all-natural topical liniment that removes heat, inflammation, and soreness anywhere on your horse's body. You can put it under wraps, saddle pads, even blankets. I mean, there's nothing on the market that's like this. It's completely safe, 100% natural, and it's super convenient to use. I keep it in the barn, in the trailer. Heck, I even keep it in the house. Their deep penetrating formula is completely sensation free. So it goes on your horses gently with zero heating, zero cooling, and no tingling effects. 
You guys, that means there's no burns and no blistering with this products on our best friends. That's huge. I never leave home without their concentrate spray and gel. And in the summertime, their citroquin bug spray is the real deal. It actually works. Their new master mud poultice and ice bath are essential when competing and hauling down the road. Truly, keeping down as much inflammation as possible is key to the 1D. Click your way on over to LonePrairiePHS.com, that's LonePrairiePHS.com, and enter code AMY10 in the checkout. Let's keep our animals competing at the top of their game. Today on the podcast, I have the much-awaited Maggie Polonsik. Did I say your name right? Yes. Yay! I suck with names. <laughs> it's like my... my it's not easy. <laughs> yes. Um, I'll let you take the reins and tell us about yourself. Um, so like Amy said, my name is Maggie Polonsik. Um, I'll just start from the beginning. I was born and raised in Gillette, Wyoming. Um, high school rodeoed... Um, a little bit. I didn't get my first horse until I was 10. My family didn't, they're not ranchers. They didn't have horses. I was the first in my family to have one. And I wanted one from the time I rode one when I was two or three. And my parents told me, if you still want one when you're 10, we'll buy you one. And of course, I still wanted one. And so I've had horses since then. Um, I went, I was, I danced in high school. That was my main focus was dance. My mom was a dancer. Um, and so that's where a lot of my training is. Um, but I always had a passion for horses. I love taking care of them. And barrel racing was really one of the first things I got into and the thing that stuck. So I went to college at CSU in Fort Collins, and I lived in Colorado for six years. Um, rode horses there, college rodeoed, had nice horses. Um, but I think maybe my focus was more towards school and dance instead of the horses. So I wasn't extremely successful at that point. But when I moved home from Colorado, I really started focusing on my animals and my horses because I was accumulating a lot and it was kind of out of necessity that I needed to do something with them. So um, I moved back home to Gillette and from then on, that was 2014, I believe. From then on, it's just my main focus has been barrel racing and care for my horses. So I, I do currently live in Gillette, but we travel all the time. So this is, but this is my hub. This is where I like to be. And I think I'll probably be for a long time. Nice. And then you're married, right? Aren't you? No, I'm not. I do have um, a boyfriend, Devin Riley. He was uh, a very good bareback rider for several years. Um, But we've been together for almost four years now. So we're not married, but we have been together for a long time. Nice. Very good. So live in Wyoming. And um, do you have your horses there with you at your place or is that at your parents' place? So I own a house in town. My parents live west of town, and their place is set up, and that's where all my horses are. And when I say in town, it takes me 15 minutes to get there. Blood is very small. It's very easy to get around in. Um, so it's not like I live an hour or so, like if I were to be, you know, in a big city, and then they'd be out of that city. So it's really convenient for me. I like having my own space, um, but then a really nice place is where my horse is, can be comfortable. You know, a lot of people have to board their horses. When I talk to some people, they're like, oh, yeah, I've boarded my horse for 15 years. I'm like, oh, wow. I didn't remember, never even thought about that. But it's a, it's a good option for a lot of people who don't have access to farm and acreage and mortgage payments. It makes a lot of sense. 
It does make a lot of sense, and especially if you have um, a limited amount of horses. Um, if you have several, it gets. I can only imagine how expensive that gets. Like you said, I don't even take into account that expense because my parents have owned their place for twenty plus years, so that's not an expense for us. But all the maintenance, of course, you know, when you own a property, the maintenance and the the cost that goes into maintaining and upgrading constantly is just it's never ending. So there's always expenses everywhere it just depends on your situation yep and people ask me all the time what are you doing this weekend i'm like well there's always something to be done when you live on a farm oh yeah something to be fixed or updated or there's always there's always something you are so correct yep so you have had a killer last 12 16 18 months you recently won the 1D and the all-in barrel race, as well as you were the high point jockey. Before, I know you've you've dominated the Blitz, which is the North Dakota um, barrel race. You won a buttload of cash there. Um, I just wrote down a few things here. You won the Nile Pro Rodeo um, Billings, Montana, which is the second year in a row. Is that correct? Um, so, see, this year is different. They Billings tore down, tore down their outdoor arena. So they had their pro rodeo inside, which is the same place the Nile is. So it looks like the same arena, but it's two different rodeos. Oh, okay. um, so she's actually, Puff has won the Nile rodeo two years in a row. So she won it in 2019. They didn't have it in 2020. And then she won it in 2021. But she also won Billings this year, which is in the same arena this year. So she loves that arena. I mean, people are starting to call it her arena. Um, I don't like, like you said, I don't like to jinx myself, yeah. but she just loves this kind of little trappy indoors. Um, she's really good in them. So it just, that was a fun, it's been a fun rodeo season. I don't think I ever hear myself saying I had fun rodeoing, but it was fun. But you really should because that's not only is it like a career path for you now, but it need, need, needs to be fun. So tell us about the all in barrel race because you kicked ass this year. <laughs> Thank you. Well, well um, and Puff did too, I mean, of course, and JJ. Anyone, both, yeah. yeah. Anyone that's heard me talk about my horse, I mean, I always give credit to her because without her, she's just a once in a lifetime horse. And I think we all should have the feeling, no matter what level you're at and what that means for you, to have a horse that you can get on and trust 100% that they're going to do their job and work for you. And she's that horse for me. Um, I don't know that I'll ever have another one like her. And so we went to the all-in this year. Um, We've gotten the last three years including this year and she's she's won it three times and she's placed second twice um out of the races that we have gone to um this year was really exciting because i took another horse um who's also by 18 nothing yet we call her jj she's a little yellow horse um so between the two of them we won just over fifty-two thousand. um two saddles four buckles um like I said, Puff has she won race one in the one D. She won one D average, and JJ placed third in the Futurity. Which, I mean, I'm proud of Puff no matter what she does, no matter what she wins. Um, but when you have a young horse that comes up and can prove themselves in those atmospheres, it just kind of solidifies in your mind that you know what you're doing, you know, and that Puff isn't just. Um, a blip for me like she wasn't just I got lucky and got a nice horse that I'm actually being able to make these horses coming up and helping them win um she placed JJ placed fifth or sixth fifth I believe in the second round of race two out of 550 horses and she's green I mean she's so green her first competition runs were made in May of this year um she wasn't started on the pattern until just a year ago um and then she ended up third overall in the futurity at the all-in and I 
just seeing these young horses progress and grow is so rewarding. And that's my favorite part of what I do outside of the, I mean, winning feels good. Winning will always feel good. And adding um, dollars to your horse's lifetime earnings, because that's my main goal with Puff right now. But just seeing them grow, um, seeing them progress and how to handle situations is it's like putting a puzzle together, and then when the pieces start falling in place, it's so rewarding. Oh, absolutely. How much, you you just rolled over to, if I might get this wrong, about $410,000 Puff is one now? Yes, she's right at $413,000, and I never thought in my lifetime I would ever own a horse that has won $100,000, much less four times that, and still competing. So it's it's a very special feeling up until probably three years ago. The whole lifetime earnings thing was new to me. All of this was all very new to me. And so having a horse that's put me there has been, it's almost like a fairy tale. It feels kind of not real when you talk about numbers like that. But as an owner and as her jockey and her trainer, it's, it's very cool. It, it's a very cool feeling. I was just going to ask you, how does that feel? <laughs> put it into words because like to me she's just she's my animal and I have to take care of her day in and day out so I see her all the time so she wows me all the time I mean just looking at her I look at her and I get emotional because I think about everything she's done for me but to me my you know my first priority is making sure she's healthy and all of that so you're not always thinking about those numbers you're not thinking about maybe what she's worth or what her babies will be worth or what she's won you're just thinking about her as an animal and her needs in that moment so sometimes you lose sight of truly how special they are just because you're either yelling at them for breaking something or you know it's yeah. they're still they're still horses and they still um you know make mistakes and do silly things but she's very very special and I I my my life changed the day that we bought her yeah yeah and someone told me one time you should write a letter to your past self and I did that I wrote a letter to myself from like a year ago so that would be really interesting for you to write a letter to yourself, you know, like a year ago and say, you know, we've done this and we've done this and we've done this. And it's it's really interesting. And then then looking back and then writing a letter to your future self as well. And then in five years from now, reading that letter, it really is kind of life changing when you come across it later on. That is such a cool concept. And I've heard that as well. And I've never done it. Um, but I love writing. I love journaling. So maybe that will be something I do this January just to, to kind of remind yourself of the things that you and your horse have yeah. accomplished and maybe not even in the horse world, whatever you do, business or sure. teaching or whatever it is, um, to really put in perspective how far you've come and then actually how far you can go. Yeah. Because it, it's exponential, right? It just, it, it snowballs. So just because I've accomplished this much so far, doesn't mean in the next five years, I'll only accomplish what I've the same amount I've accomplished so far, it, it gets bigger and bigger as you go. It's like adding interest. So yeah. you, you're capable of so much more than you've already done. And sometimes in the day-to-day, it's hard to, um, when you're dealing with hard things or challenging things, it's hard to remember that. But that's a really good idea. I might have to do that. Yeah, yep. That's a great way of putting it, adding interest. That's great. Puff, she's um, ain't seen me yet. And yes. JJ is ain't seen her yet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that it gets is confusing. confusing. And I'm glad they're different colors and don't look anything alike because I'm sure yes. someone would 
eventually have to say something that she's on the wrong horse or whatever, but it's really easy to prove with these two because Puff is Chestnut and JJ's Palomino and JJ looks completely different than Puff. So it's easy to prove and I'm, I'm glad because their names are so similar. Yes, so the, obviously they're out of the same sire. So are they yes. out of completely different mares? They are. So Puff is out of a like a great-granddaughter of Meridoc. But Meridoc's a little bit further back on her papers. And then JJ is out of a, the signature mare. So um, I didn't know much about him, but I really, I mean, I love her. Um, so if, if her personality and ability speaks to that at all, I, I like him on the bottom. Yeah. So since they have different, you know, some people think, oh, because they have the same, same dad, different mom, they're going to ride completely the same or completely different. And I think it depends on the stallion. I really think it depends on how strong their genes are. Um, and every every horse is different, every baby's different, but can you tell a similarity in their style or their personality at all? So the personalities are very, I used to think they were very different. As JJ's maturing, um, she's becoming much more intense about her job the way Puff is. Puff is very intense about when you send her down, I mean, anything you ask her to do, lope circles, rollbacks on the fence, walk down the alleyway, like whatever you're asking that horse to do, she's very intentional about it. Um, and JJ, I think just as she's maturing and becoming older and more confident about what she's doing, she's becoming that way. I didn't see that really until the all-in. She's becoming very intentional about everything she's doing. Um, and I don't know if that's a mare thing or if that is just an ain't seen nothing yet thing. I hate to put horses in boxes, even if they are, say, full siblings. Because I think that can get us in trouble of what we expect out of them or what we, how we train them or how we go about handling them. And so I would urge everybody to treat every horse as an individual, regardless of how they're bred. And then if that horse isn't for you, to pass it along to someone that likes that style of horse. Because what I like may not be what somebody else likes. And what I can't deal with may be what somebody else can. And so even though I see similarities in their personality, their running style and their riding style is very different. Um, they're both very talented, but in very different ways. Um, so I would just urge everybody to take the horse as an individual and not expect or assume anything about the way they're going to be just because of what's on their papers. Yeah, I've talked to quite a few fraternity trainers or just horse trainers in general, and they have a tendency to like... You know, a lot of Frenchman guy colts or a lot of agency nothing yet colts or, you know, certain dot colts. You know, they like certain colts. So now that you've ridden quite a few agency nothing yet horses, do you tend to like those horses more than other others that you've ridden? So, because what I have on my property is more than 70% agency nothing yet horses. Yeah, so that's what you have a tendency to so, Yeah, yeah, I see what That's you mean. what I have. And the reason that happened is because I had success on Puff, right? So I... So we now you're hoarding them. What we know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I know she was successful, so I'm going to go that way. Yeah. Um, but the horses we're breeding now um, are going to be different. I would like to try some different things because in the past, before anybody knew Puff for me, I had an on-the-money red horse that I loved and I did very well on. I had a dash of fame that I loved, a streak in six. So I'd kind of like to get back to those roots a little bit um, and explore those options because I think um, – there's a lot of horses that get overlooked just because, uh, oh, Maggie loves to ride eight nothing yet, so that's what they expect to see me on. Sure. So I would like to kind of branch out and um, try some different things. Even though I love my eight nothing yet, I love everything about them. I have seven. I love them. 
that I uh, I would like to start branching out and kind of putting my feelers elsewhere and just see maybe there's other things I could be successful on as well. So let's get a little bit technical. Whenever you run your horses at home, I'm not running, but whenever you practice with them at home, train them, work on them, school them, whatever, um, versus when you run them at a show or a race, what kind of bits do you use? With Toss, we'll start with her just because she's the main one that I run. I, at home, previous to the beginning of the year, or when we got home from the all-in, I was riding her in a double gag Carol Goose tree bit with a dog bone twisted wire. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I ride her in at home. Um, I like to get a lot of flexion out of her. She's a very stiff horse naturally. She will lean on you. Um, she's very broke, but when she gets to doing her thing, she gets pretty forceful about what she's doing, and I have to just remind her to come back into me. And um, so I ride her in that. I also ride her in, um, in Ed Wright. Um, it's just a long shank dog bone, twisted wire, nothing super special um, at home, too. She seems to like that bit. I don't know why. I don't know what it is about that bit, but she seems very comfortable in it. But I run her in a long shank Millimaki um, that is made by Dave Elliott, and it's got copper wire and a cricket in it. And honestly, at this point, I think I could run that horse in just about anything, but because that's what I started her in, and I've always run her in that, I'm kind of paranoid about changing things when it comes to competition, and so I just it's what I run her in. Um, if I had the wherewithal to sit down and try to figure out what she maybe would do best in, we're kind of in that process. She has a very petite mouth, so I think I'm going to have to have something made for her that um, doesn't have as wide of a mouthpiece, something thinner. Same with JJ. She's got a very petite mouth, so we're going to have to go in that direction because just standard bits off the shelf or like a standard measurement of a mouthpiece doesn't fit them as well as I'd like. So the more I learn about bits, the more I'm discovering those things. But what I've done recently... Whenever I'm having issues with a horse, and this isn't recent, this is always, but what I've done recently with Puff is I put her back in an O-ring, and I've never run it, or I've never worked this horse in an O-ring because she can be very forceful. Um, she is always on go, but I found recently she's kind of taken off in the alleyway with me, and I'm not able to get her set up for the first barrel as well as I'd like to. Um, so we're going back to basics so my go-to is always going to be if I'm having an issue with the horse I'm going to put less bit on it and I'm going to go back to walking for as long as I need to then trotting and then hopefully loping but um my my go-to is always less always less bit never more um because I think you can find your holes better that way yes can you say it louder for the people in the back (laughs) (laughs) less bit (laughs) less bit softer hands more basics Yes, and I think people would be amazed if they spent a week just walking their horse and moving their body parts and getting softness throughout their face, neck, shoulders, withers, hips, ribs, all of it. I think they would be amazed at how the horse will apply it to the pattern immediately. Horses are not dumb. Horses are extremely smart, and I think sometimes we insult their intelligence by overtraining and overriding. And for since we got home with Puff, all she's been doing getting ready for circuit finals is um, conditioning, of course. But when I get on her, I haven't gone above a trot. I mean, and for a couple of weeks, we're just walking. And it is so good for these horses. And I, and for me, it's relaxing. You know, I don't have to be worried about, you know, going fast or loping or all of this stuff. I, I can just walk. And it's so nice. And you can get it done on any type of ground. You don't even have to have an arena at your house you'd be on a hillside and you can be getting these things done. And I think people kind of disregard that a little bit, or maybe don't even think about it. They just think, Oh, walking, like that's easy, but um, there's so much that can be done. So we spend a lot of time walking. Yeah. 
Speaking of conditioning, I know I've listened to you on other podcasts before talking about conditioning and exercising regimens that not only do you have one for yourself, but you have them for your horses as well. I would love to hear, um, maybe not like your routine that you do, because it's always different depending on the weather and you know all the variables in that. But I'd love to hear a little bit about what you do and why you do it. As an overview, I structure my horses weeks in. T- so I start, okay, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> we'll start with the why. The why that I developed this program for my horses, and I didn't do it on my own. I had a lot of professional help doing this, um, was because Puff is bleeding. And I hate Lasix. And people can vilify me for that all they want. But I'm not vilifying them if they love to use it. And if they think that that works, I say, go on and do your thing. Sure. I did not like using it. I didn't like the way it made her feel. I didn't like anything about it. And I was hell-bent on figuring out a way to get her to run without it. I just knew there had to be a way to get this horse to stop bleeding. So that helped me. And we got in touch with a, um, a racetrack trainer out in California. And for privacy purposes, because I don't want a thousand barrel racers getting a hold of him, I'm not going to give his name. Sure, sure. Um, but he he helped me develop a program, and we sat down, and he said, "Well, what do you want? What does a barrel horse have to be good at?" And I said, "Well, they have to have specific skill, they have to be fast, and they have to be strong." So we developed a program that um, revolved around skill, speed, and strength. The speed thing is what really lent to the bleeding part of what we were battling we built up a sprinting program for puff to be on and it's very specific and i'll use it for my other horses and alter it how they need to be um it's very scientific based i mean we had heart rate monitors we had notebooks with data i mean we had we were monitoring the type of ground she was on the wind speed she was working and the humidity in the air i mean we got specific and um and as she got stronger there, we added strength elements in. So um, ground poles, trotting on an incline, trotting across an incline, eventually loping. Um, and then skill, of course, is something that's not new to us as barrel racers. That's, you know, dry work. And I didn't change a bunch of what I was doing there. I was probably just doing it less because I was concentrating more on the speed and the strength. And so that's how I structure my programs. Um, these horses, um, when they're first starting the sprinting part of their program, I will only sprint them once to twice a week, twice if they're already fit, once if they're starting kind of from ground zero, and they're very slow sprints, and there's not very many of them, Um, and then the strength part of their workouts will do two to three times a week, and skill once to twice, depending on where they are in their training, Um, so in a nutshell, that's the why and the how, Um, it gets very scientific, I mean, we included organs such as the spleen, the core strength, it all works together because horses' organs, of course, move around inside their body, and we had to take all that into account. So we got very scientific. Um, that's my – I love that. That's so interesting to me, and I know it's not very interesting to other people. But I can say, and I know there's going to be a lot of people that roll their eyes, that Puff does not bleed now, and she does not run on Lasix. And this is a program that I will use for all of my horses um, and that's not to say that if a horse is a true leader and they do need Lasix, I will run on it. But that was really the core of why I needed a better program for my horses. And so that's, in a nutshell, what we do and why we do it. I think that's awesome. I mean, that just goes to show how much passion that you have, that you 
want to better yourself, better your animals, you know, the less that we can put in their bodies and do things more naturally. I mean, that's what we do as humans. If I can get off of a medicine and do things more naturally, absolutely. Right, right. And in the long term, you know, so like, I think sometimes we think of these horses as short term animals, and they can be. Um, and I'm not saying that derogatory in any sense of the fashion. I'm not saying sure. turning trainers are only riding these horses for a year, and you're only being successful year for a year, and then they're beat down. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying like, my goal for this horse and all the horses that I have, I would love to be running them when they're 17. Okay. Is that realistic? I don't know yet. Um, but I know that I have the people on my team that can advise me and that's my goal. Yeah. That That's my goal is to have these horses, the longevity of their life to not have a 12 year old, 12 year old horse running and people think that it's old. Yeah. Um, that's my goal. And so everything we do is approached from that standpoint and it's approached from not band-aiding the symptom, but finding, and we may band-aid the symptom for a day or a few days or a week. Um, but we're going to always be going after what's causing it and why. And I'm just so blessed to have found a team of people that have that same mindset and value these horses as much as I do. Um, and it's been, I couldn't do it by myself and I would never claim to be, and I would never claim to be an expert, but I have experts behind me that can help me with all of this. And I'm not afraid to ask them questions. I'm not afraid to make a fool out of myself. And I'm not afraid to pick up the phone and say, Hey, this isn't working or this happened. What do I do now? It's just, it's a constant communication and it's, it's a very dynamic process. It's not this practitioner gave me this program and then that's all I do. I mean, there's still a lot of back and forth and, um, it's been a cool process, but if you're not willing to learn and you're not passionate about it, and I understand not everybody is, um, it's difficult and it's difficult because people have heard this is the way I train my horses and they ask me for that program and I'm hesitant, hesitant to give it out just because I don't want them to either put in a half you know, half effort and not get the results that they're looking for. And then it comes back on me or their horse wasn't ready for it or it wasn't enough for their horse and it didn't work. And then it comes back on me. They're saying, Oh, Maggie told me to do this and it didn't work. So don't ask her for advice. So I'm really hesitant to kind of lend this information out. And I really want to encourage people to do their own research and contact people that they trust and get all the information that they can regarding their specific animal. Um, not that I don't want to help people. I really, really do. And I'm really, really passionate about that. But like we talked about before, horses are such individuals. Mm-hmm. And we have to take that into consideration when we're working with them. Yeah. Well, that's just motivated me to get, I mean, I work out hard in the gym and I have a trainer. So I need to work the same as my horses. And I know when it, like, I've heard you talk about this before, not into this detail. So this is so motivating to try to do my own research. And I'm going to do that. Thanks for sharing. I appreciate it. <laughs> and it's fun. And like I said, it's not for everybody. Not everybody wants to sit down with a scientific article and read it and figure out why. And then if they don't understand something in that article, go find out what that means. And I could go down rabbit holes all day long. I mean, my whole life from the time I'm awake to the time I go to sleep is geared around towards making these horses better. And I spend a lot of time reading. I spend a lot of time talking to vets and, you know, it's just, it's interesting to me. And I understand that it's not for everybody. And that's why we have these, like, uh, I don't know what I want to call them groups of people that are, I, I keep using laces because that's what we're talking about. But who will just say, I'm going to use laces on every horse, every time, whether they've been to a vet and been diagnosed as a bleeder or not, 
or people that will never touch it. And so we get these two groups of people fighting back and forth when there's such a big gray area in between. Mm -hmm. And if people would do their own research, they could find exactly where they fit in that spectrum. And then we wouldn't have to have all of these, you know, knockdown, drag out fights about a silly drug that um, either people think works or doesn't. So um, I just, I try to stay out of that as much as I can. And I've never actually talked about the Lasix part of why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, I'm not vilifying any one that uses it um and believes in it it's just not for me and for my program yeah and the same goes with any drug or pre-race paste or anything what might work exactly. for you supplements. could or could not work for me or my horse absolutely right and how many supplements are there on the market that I mean, you could you could be researching supplements for days on end, hours oh. on end, weeks on end, and still not scratch the surface of it. And so that's why it's super important to have people in your corner. Like I have an equine nutritionist in my corner that she tells me everything I need to know, but just because she says it doesn't mean I take it and use it as gospel. I do my own research. So you just, I mean, it's endless, and it's not our fault that there are so many um, options out there as far as, you know, care for our horses, supplements, products, everything. But it is our responsibility as horse owners to make sure we're giving our horses what they need. So I just, anyway, I could research and talk about it all day, um, but I would just, it's scary. It's scary to get started. You don't always know where to get started, but just get started and it will lead you down a direction. And then you'll start asking yourself questions and you'll end up eventually where you need to be. Shifting gears really quick. Um, I saw you had made a post a while ago about mindset and I have a lot of people that contact me wanting to know about mental toughness and mindset. So it was a really interesting post that I actually screenshotted and saved because I wanted to read it multiple times and it was talking about failing but it wasn't talking in the way about feeling that most of us think about you were talking about failing forward and I would if you remember I would love for you to talk more about your impression on that and what you meant because I think it's it's such an incredible way to think about about it about failing forward so thank you for for finding value in that post um I hope that when I do post things um though I'm not a huge fan of social media I hope that when I post things that people get value out of them and that if they don't right away, that maybe someday they will, um, depending on what they're going through at that specific time in their life. But um, that specific post, um, I think as, and I've read a few books about, um, I don't have kids, but about raising kids, just because I'm enthralled with um, the psychology and philosophy behind raising kids and about how how humans interact and communicate and what, the consequences, good or bad, are of that. So as kids, we are raised in a system where we go to school and we are told that if you get an A, that's good, and if you get an F, that's bad. So if you fail, that's bad, right? We're raised that way. We are conditioned that way. And regardless of what our parents do, it's kind of irreversible when you're at a school for six or seven hours a day that's telling you A is good, F is bad. And so we're primed to believe that failing is bad when in reality, failing is how we learn, right? If we fail at something, we're going to adjust and try to do better or find a different way or just find a whole different avenue completely. Maybe that's not for us. Maybe science is just not for us and we're going to get through it in school and then we're never going to use it again. And that's fine. You have to find in your life where that's going to lead you. And then if you, if you get an A, that's good, right? So if you, if you succeed, you're generally not going to be pushed to do better. There's nothing better than an A-plus in school, right? There's nothing you can do better. And that's generally how we're conditioned. And so 
uh, in that post, I wanted to just highlight that failure is good and we shouldn't be afraid of it, even though we're primed to be afraid of failing. Because failing, if it doesn't lead us down a better path, it'll at least make us not as afraid. And um, I think failure is very scary for people. It, it was very scary for me to fail because I thought I was doing something wrong or bad. And in reality, I was learning the whole time. I was learning how to be better. I was learning what not to do, what to, what to do, who to contact, who not to contact. And um, the more you make friends with failure, the less he becomes scary and the more he just becomes a friend. And so as you fail more, you're becoming more and more familiar with that with failing and how that feels and then it's not as scary down the road and so I just I like the idea of failure because it it makes us less afraid if that makes sense yeah and so that's kind of where I was going with that post is is be friends with failure because it becomes less scary and you become more confident in doing so yeah and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable I did um, some mental coaching a couple of years ago with Stevie Hillman's husband, Ty. And that's one thing that I took uh, the biggest takeaway that he had to teach me was get comfortable with being uncomfortable, with being uncomfortable with driving 12 hours by yourself if you had to. Getting uncomfortable with riding in the rain because it sucks and it's hard, but you might have to do it someday. You know, getting uncomfortable with riding your horse in the mud because if you had to go to a rodeo and it was muddy, you're still going to have to run. Getting comfortable right. with being uncomfortable and being fearful is, is okay. You know, fear is a scary thing. It is. It's very scary. And I had uh, I have a really good mentor of mine that always tells me to remember, if you can't, then you must. So if you think you can't do something, then that's exactly oh. the thing you need to do. And it's so, it's just short, simple, and I think about it all the time. I mean, we both live in climates that are extremely cold in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. And I'm never going to put my horse's health in danger, but I am always going to do what I can to progress that day with them. So if it's cold outside and I can't ride, then I must. I must find a way to do something with my horse that day, whether it's just body work or just monitoring them or maybe researching a little bit about an issue that I'm uncomfortable knowing about because I don't know about it. Um then I'm always progressing and making that horse and myself better as a team. And so if you can't, you must. Yeah. While we're on the subject of social media, I saw another post that you made um, and you were talking about the amount of credit that you give your horses. And I cannot tell you how much that I love this because you always talk about how much you owe credit to your horses. And it just, I always hit the heart button and share it every time because I love it so much. So first off, I want to say thank you for putting so much thought and passion into the words that you post on social media. And secondly, thank you for highlighting what's important to you. And obviously it's your horses and that's what comes first. So often we see people, you know, schooling on their horses when it's not necessary or not taking enough care of them. And it always makes me so upset for the horse. And it's hard to know when it's acceptable or even appropriate to approach somebody. I mean, I know I've told my friends, hey, that was your fault that you knocked over the barrel. You looked right at it. Or, hey, you know, you haven't cleaned up your stall in two days. You need to clean. Not that my friends do that. But, you know, there's times that you should and shouldn't say anything. But um, you always have the nicest words whenever you post on social media. And I think, gosh, she is so good at this. But you can really tell that you're speaking from the heart. But I always think it's so great that you give 
every bit of credit to your horse. So you can really tell how much you love your horses and how much you care for them. Obviously, by the way you talk about them is, is so wonderful. And I appreciate you, you noticing that they are the reason I get to do what I do. So I, they didn't ask to be drugged to Las Vegas for two days and stuck in a 10 by 10 stall and be around other horses they don't know in a stinky stall barn. And they didn't be in the middle of a city. They didn't ask for that. I brought them there. So then now that becomes my responsibility to make sure they are as comfortable as possible. If that means me getting up at 3.30 in the morning so they can be turned out for an hour while nobody's down there, then that's what that means. And there's nothing that comes before that. So Las Vegas was a good example because we were there for a long time. My horses aren't used to being in stalls. They are maybe in pens and runs to be fed different feet if they're on a different program for that. But my horses are turned out. They are horses. And so bringing them into that environment was very hard. So my whole time while I was there, we went to the cowboy convention once to shop. Um, And other than that, we really didn't leave sight. We were with those horses all the time because that was such a new environment for them. They needed to be out walking three times a day. Their stalls needed to be immaculate. Um, And it just everything I do is for those animals. So I'm not in Las Vegas to party or have fun. And I'm not saying you're wrong. If you do, I'm not saying that at all. Um, absolutely go have fun when you can. But I was so dog tired by the end of the night that I was like, I'm going to watch the rodeo on my phone and we're going to have a burger and we're going to go to bed. Um, because I just didn't have any more energy for it. And some people just have more energy. They like that social going out and going to the rodeo and seeing what everybody's wearing and I'm just that's not how I'm I'm geared it's just nothing that's interesting to me like I said you're not a bad person if you do but I saw a lot of people that that was their focus and that was just from observation and I'm not judging anybody but those horses like I said didn't ask to be dragged to Las Vegas for two weeks and stuck in a stall so it's not their responsibility to have to deal with empty water buckets and you know dirty shavings up to their ankles and um it's just not fair to them. Um, so behind that post is, is maybe as eloquent as maybe some people thought that it was. It was actually uh, founded in a lot of anger. I was I was angry that those horses had to be around that. And then I was also angry that my horses, um, even though I was doing everything I could to keep everything clean around me and um, that they were subject to, you know, the ammonia smell and the mm-hmm. dust and the, all of that. But um, like I said, I'm not, I don't think anybody is out to be a bad horse owner I just think we need to be more aware of where we're putting these horses and that they don't ask to be there we we drug them there yeah well I think it just goes to show because obviously who won the all-in <laughs> Maggie Polancic <laughs> so you know a happy horse will work for you you know yes. a horse that is happy and healthy and wants to work will will win Yeah, and horses are simple, right? I mean, horses don't, we make it complicated, and it can be very complicated. Like, I was just talking about all the science that goes behind everything that we do. But if you just keep your horse's water clean and them in a clean environment with food in front of them, I mean, if you do those three things, that horse is going to be on cloud nine. That's all they care about. They don't know that they're at the all-in, and you're wanting them to win $15,000 in a round. They don't know that you pull up in a... $200,000 trailer or $20,000 trailer. They don't know and they don't care. All they care about is their simple needs, cleanliness, food, and water. And that's, you know, it's so simple. If you keep it that simple, um, your horse is going to be just happy as a clam. Preach on, sister. Preach on. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so switching gears a little bit, I know going back to what you were talking at the very beginning that you have um, been in ballet the rest of your life, or I'm sorry, you've been in ballet most of your life. So not only are you a great horsewoman, but you're an even bal- better ballet teacher and you've been doing that the majority of your life, correct? That is correct, yes. So tell us a little bit about that because I know that's also a huge passion of yours as well. It is. Um so this year is the first year I'm not teaching. Um, this is the first year of my life that I have not had dance in my life um, in any capacity, whether I'm actually dancing, training, or um, teaching. And it's been hard. It, it's been a part of my life since I've been six. And then even before that, my mom was a dancer. So it was. it's just been a part of my life forever. So it's been a very hard transition. Um, I did that because I have different goals with my horses this year. And I can't... Um, dedicate the time to those kids in that studio that they they deserve and so I did um leave the studio for that reason and it's been really hard um dance has taught me a lot and I think um it was put in my life for a reason I love the creative part of it so it was really an outlet for me that way but I learned a lot about human bodies and how they function um effectively I think that translates to what I'm doing now. So it was in my life for a reason to get me um, or to help me achieve the goals I want to with my horses in kind of a roundabout indirect way. Um, but but teaching and I miss the kids more than I miss the actual dance part. Um, but I still follow a lot of um, dance pages on Instagram and stuff. And that's how I get my feet or get my fill of it. Yeah. But um, I don't think that will ever leave. It's kind of one of those things that it's always in you. Um it's a very intimate, um, it's not a sport. I don't call it a sport. It's definitely an art and you have to be an athlete to do it, but that doesn't mean it's a sport. So I don't believe dance to be a sport, but it just gets ingrained in your soul. Um, it would be like asking anyone in the show to sell their horses one day because they had other goals. I mean, just because you have other goals doesn't make it easier to leave that part of you behind. So it's been hard, um, but it, I know it's for a reason and it doesn't mean I can't go back later. So, yeah. So a while ago, you had talked about having a fitness program. Tell us a little bit about that. So I um, developed a program that was geared towards barrel racers. And not geared towards, but it was specific to them. um, Because there's nothing out there like that. And um, I spent a lot of time developing it um, over a year, over a year and a half before I released it. And it was successful on its release. Um, I pulled back and I pulled it off, off the market mostly because um the more i learn about and the more i'm learning just how the fitness industry and i don't want to use the word scam because it is beneficial to people mm-hmm. but in an athlete sense um if i were to ask you if you want to be skinny and have your ideal body now or if you want to be able to outperform outperform your competition year in and year out which would you choose and most people i think would choose the latter right if you're an athlete you want to be able to outperform your competition all the time. I mean, that's our goal, right? We want to be at the top. We want to be winning. That's why we do all of this. Um, but the being skinny and having the ideal body, they don't go hand in hand. So just because someone is an extremely great athlete doesn't mean they always look the part. They don't have the low percentage of body fat. They don't necessarily have six pack abs or look super fit. Um, and in that same sense, on the other side of the coin, someone can look extremely fit. They can have the six-pack abs, but their spine is in the shape of a banana, and it's compressed, and they aren't able to create internal pressure to address 
deficiencies in their movement patterns. Um, and that is going to make your career as an athlete short-lived. So the more I learn about this, the more I understand how hard it is to explain that to people mm-hmm. in a virtual way, especially. If I had hands-on a client one-on-one and I could explain these concepts of decompression in the spine and correcting movement pattern deficiencies, I could do that. But in a virtual sense, it's just completely foreign to people because they want to just go to the gym and they want to grind it out. They want to lift a bunch of weight and they want to be sweaty and have this kind of caveman type approach to these gains, quote unquote. Um, And so I started working with my brother who is an Olympic level wrestler and he works for a program called functional patterns. And it's a very, um, very intricate, intricate way of training because it addresses movement pattern deficiencies and decompression of the spine. Like I've been talking about so that your organs are functioning at an optimal level. That means your body's going to, I mean, that's really where it stems. Um, but these people that are already athletes or already think they know their way around a gym, which they may, um, it's a big hit on their egos when you tell them, well, you're not even breathing correctly or you can't even walk properly. And that's where this program starts. And so when I started working with my brother, I was like, what is this? Like, you're teaching me how to breathe. Like, I need to be able to ride my horse better. And he's like, trust me, I'll get you there. And within a month, everything changed. Um, But the culture of this functional patterns asks you to change everything you know about fitness and it puts it more on a neurological level like my nervous system after I work with my brother is shot like I need a nap because my brain is tired Um, and so I'm just taking this whole different approach and um, I'm kind of known for going against the grain and encouraging people to think differently about what they're used to I used to be kind of quiet about it um, but now that I've done the research and I understand it more I don't want to be quiet about it whether or not people understand it or use it that's up to them um but i think it can benefit everybody um this functional patterns and i'm not i'm not a practitioner i'm just training under my brother um and i'm not trying to sell anybody anything but the if you're interested in it they do have a 10-week course that you can do online with their um, the actual founder of the program, Nadia Aguilar, and he is just brilliant, um, kind of off-putting to people that don't want to learn and don't want to do better for themselves, so you kind of have to be ready for that, but um, it's it's groundbreaking, and there's Olympic-level wrestlers that are using it, and they're wrestling well into their 30s, which is unheard of in the past, oh, yeah. um, so it, it's just, I like the program I developed, um, and I think it can help people. But I think that the more I learn, the more I'm like, "Ah, but that's not what I want to get across, right? Like, I think it could help people either lose weight or become stronger, but it's not doing what in my gut and in my integrity I want to portray. So until I can find a way to do that, I don't want to, if that makes sense. Yeah. Fitness is such a big deal for barrel racing. You know, we ask so much of our horses to be these incredible athletes. Why aren't we? You know, I think right. it, it is such an important thing that we step up as human beings for our horses because we're asking our horses to do, to do the exact same thing. I agree 100%. And it, you know, it's, 
like I said, everything that we do, and it doesn't matter what level you're at. Like, I don't want people listening to this that say they just go to a jackpot once a month or a couple times a year, that this doesn't benefit them because it absolutely does. Mm -hmm. And it absolutely benefits their horses. So it doesn't matter if you're going to a jackpot once a month or you're trying to make the finals. You and your horse deserve to feel good. Mm -hmm. And that's it. I mean, that's the basis of everything. Your animal deserves to feel good. You deserve to feel good. And you deserve to be progressing. And so does that animal. Because even though animals are creatures of habit, I think a lot of them want to do better, right? They want to progress in their training. They want to learn new things. And so if we can just keep that in mind, it doesn't matter what level you're at. This is beneficial for everybody on every level. Yeah, absolutely. As we all know, barrel racing is super hard on the body. We're always sore somewhere. We have random bruises, none to mention, I swear. Every time I go to a barrel race, I tear a fingernail at least three times throughout the weekend. Somehow, it just happens. <laughs> I swear, I don't know about all these fraternity people and people that win the races. I'm like, they look perfect. They're not even dirty. I'm covered in dirt, and I have 17 bruises. How does this happen? I feel that way because when I'm at a barrel race for the day or a rodeo, like, I look at these girls, and they've got, like, their crisp, you know, starch jeans, and I'm, like, looking like a hobo with, like, poop stains on my jeans, and yes. it's, like, so I'm glad you feel the same way, because I feel the same way. Yeah, like, I yeah. feel, like, a ball of dirt, and it's just, yeah, yeah so I'm, glad I'm not the only one. Like, I've showered, but I haven't washed my hair in five days. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, how are, how are your extensions still perfect, girl? What the hell? Yeah. And how do they wear their hair down when they run? I still haven't figured that out. See, I, I tried it once. You know, I hadn't for years um, because one time, and I had long extensions, and I came around the first barrel, and my extensions got caught across my face, and I couldn't see anything. So then I always ran into either a braid or a ponytail, and recently I was like, well, all these girls are good with their hair down, and so I tried it, and it did the same thing. So now I'm ponytail or braid. That's the only way I can function. I, know. I don't know how and they all look good doing it, but yep. kudos and to them. <laughs> exactly. I, I saw, um, I was at BBR finals, and I was in the holding pen. You know, my heart's pounding a 1,000 miles an hour. I don't remember my name. I don't know what draw number I am. Thank God my husband's <laughs> leading me in because I don't know if I'm coming or going. You know, I'm so nervous. And um, the girl coming out that was in the, you know, drag in front of me, she had this long blonde hair. It was all down. This beautiful cowboy hat had like three inch long nails. She looked completely perfect. Not, you know, starched jeans, belt buckle, everything, head to toe. She looked beautiful and flawless and so did her horse. I don't think her, they had white polos on. I don't think there was a speck of dirt on them. And I thought to myself, <laughs> where did you come from? Did you just come from the back pen? Because there's no way yeah, you just came from the front happen? gate. Because <laughs> I am sweating on the underneath from head to toe, under my bra, everything. I am just drenched head to toe in sweat. But Same. Same. Every, yeah, everybody's different. That's the way it is. So um, speaking of that, this talks a little bit about mental toughness, toughness, because it's a subject, like I said, a lot of people want to talk about. So how do you strengthen your mind and work on t mental toughness, especially preparing for uh, bigger competitions? I don't, I try not to put too much pressure on the situation, no matter where I'm going. Like next week we go to circuit finals and it's very important to me that I do well there, right? I mean, obviously I don't want to go up there and hit barrels in every round or my goal is to do well there. Um, and it means a lot to me to do so, but I think of worst case scenario. So what if I do, what if I go up there and in three rounds I hit nine barrels? What if? Nothing. You know, people might talk about it for a little bit or I might feel crappy, but I'll survive, right? And then I get to go right back down to Denver and I get to try it again. One run doesn't define me and it doesn't define my horse. As much as this industry lends to that idea is that, you know, 
someone could win Houston and then the next week nobody even knows who they are because there's already another big rodeo that's been won by somebody else. Mm -hmm. And um, you just have to keep it in perspective. Um, I remember when I was making one of the biggest runs of my career and it was at the days of 47 and they were, it was Pup's first year of competition. I didn't know what the heck I'd gotten myself into. I'm standing by the stadium that there's thousands of people in that come and watch us do this to, you know, win potentially $50,000. I mean, it was a lot for me. It was a lot for my horse. And I was sitting in the warm-up pen, and I was just looking around, and I was like, there are billions of people outside the stadium that have no idea and don't care what's going on right here, right now. We are so small that it just, and I don't want to be like, oh, it doesn't matter, because it obviously matters. It's important to us. But on a, on a big scale, it really doesn't matter that much. And so if it's important to you and important for you to do well, prepare yourself for that. And when you show up, be ready to perform, but know that if it doesn't go your way, it's not the end of the world. And I just really try to put that in perspective and that helps me not be so nervous about it. That may not help anybody else, but we're small. Um, barrel racing is small as big as it is in our world. It's small to everybody else. And there's other people that don't even know it exists. So, if I can just make good decisions in the arena and do the best I can, that's all I have control over. And that's all I'm going to worry about. That's beautiful. I like that. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. That's good. So I always like to ask each person that I have the honor of having on the podcast, the same question about creating change in the barrel racing industry. So here's your chance to get on your box with your microphone, your soapbox. <laughs> if you could create any kind of change about the barrel racing industry, what would it be? So when you sent me this question, there were so many things that went through my mind. And I, you sent me these questions a few days ago, and I just last night figured out what I wanted to say, and we've already touched on it. And I just wish that people would put more effort into scientific data-based resources for research. And I'm not talking about vets or professional people that work on horses or any of that. I'm talking about the everyday horse owner. I just think there's better ways of education. So the methods that we currently use that are currently used by the masses right now to gain information about our horses, unfortunately, are one to ask on Facebook. And I would urge anybody listening to never ask for horse oh. advice on Facebook <laughs> unless you value every single person's opinion in that group. Mm-hmm. I think it's a poor way to go about it. I think you're going to get a multitude of different answers. And I think it will just confuse you more. So I would urge anybody to just don't do that. And then the second thing we see are these like passive aggressive one-liners or memes on Facebook. So one that stuck out to me because I was doing this was um, if you put an O-ring on a one-eared head stall, it tells me everything I need to know about you as a horseman. (laughs) I I saw that one, yeah. several horses in a one-eared head stall and an O-ring, and I didn't know that was wrong. So I think that if that person that wrote that, I'm not saying they're a bad person. I'm not saying anything about them that way. But I think if they would have used that opportunity opportunity to teach those that were ready to learn instead of belittling them um because they didn't know any better i think that things could go better so better ways of education i think the third thing that people do is they google something and then they'll look at the first few links and then they're done they just don't dive deeper and i believe our horses deserve better from us like i said earlier it's not our fault that there's so many options and it's so overwhelming, but it is our responsibility to give our horses the best care that we can. Um, and there's no sort, there's no shortage of resources. So I would urge people to call vets, to call professionals and find scientific based research and actually use it. So research it, apply it, question it, research it, apply it, question it. And don't feel bad for calling someone and then they don't call you back. 
don't feel bad for that. You know, just go on to the next person. People are busier. People forget. And I don't think they do it intentionally. Or maybe they do. Maybe they say that's a dumb question and I'm not going to answer it. You know, either way, it doesn't matter. You're going to find someone that's going to give you an answer that you can research, apply, and then question and then do the whole process over again. Um, I just wish there was more of that. I wish there was better education um, um, instead of belittling. And so it's on because there's not. Um, it's on us as people to do that ourselves. So that's my soapbox. That's all I got for you. And we already kind of talked about it, but good job. I like your soapbox (laughs) talks. I'm on it. Thank you. (laughs) Um, one thing that you've talked a lot about on social media is your goals that you have a lot of goals. So what are some of your goals that you're wanting to accomplish this year? I'm just starting to read, um, the book 10 X, which I know you've talked about before, um, about having 10 X goals. So if you haven't got your goals this year, what are some that you're kind of thinking about? So I have um, sat down and wrote out all of my goals this year. Some of them would be very boring to others, so I'm not going to bore them with that. Um, Since we're talking about horses, and this is kind of a horse-driven barrel racing podcast, um, this year I am going to rodeo harder. Um, That's a goal for me because talking about failure and fear, that's something I'm scared of. I don't know a lot about rodeo. When I show up at a rodeo, I feel like a fish out of water. Even though I have a great horse, um, I don't necessarily feel like I belong there or know where the office is or where I'm going to enter the arena. Like there's just so many unknowns. And so I'm going to make that something I'm not scared of. So I'm going to rodeo harder this year. I'm going to rodeo smarter. Um, I have a lot of resources and people I can reach out to before I make mistakes to help me along the way. And I'm not good at that. I'm not always good at asking for help. So that's another thing, a goal of mine is to ask for help when I need it, whether or not I get my, get eyes rolled at me or not. I'm going to ask the questions and not feel dumb about it. Um, 10x goals so like lifetime goals I um, we're pulling embryos on puff this year also something very new for me never another mare any horse yeah Um, but we're going to a great facility to have it done and I I'm excited about that I'm very nervous I don't know how she'll handle it in the middle of competing but we'll find all that out and we'll learn and we'll either do it different next year or do it the same way we did it Um, I don't know yet Um, I also um I've been battling, I've been throwing around the idea of buying land in Texas, but keeping our place up here because I love being up north. I don't love humidity. I don't love hot summers. So I want to be up here in the summertime and then down there in the winter. Um, but recently changed my idea of that. Um, I love being in the north. I don't, I don't hate it in the winter. There are certain days I hate it, but my big goal is to build an indoor heated arena. Um, and whether or not that happens in the near future or the far future, I don't know. But that's like my 10x goal. I want a really nice indoor arena where I can ride and I can be home because I love being home. So in a nutshell, those are kind of my biggest goals this year. And um, I'm sure they'll change and evolve as we go. But for now, that's kind of what they look like. Yeah, that is so inspiring. That is one of my 10x goals is also to have an indoor riding arena. And we have made it almost to the groundbreaking process and then God threw us a life-changing bump in the road and we got knocked (laughs) way backwards and now we're to back to the drawing board so to say so um I don't know if that was a sign that we're not supposed to build an indoor or if we're supposed to save our money maybe just not right now correct maybe yeah I always look at those things as, and I do firmly believe everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Some of those reasons are, you know, in our control and we screwed it up, but some of them are things we don't know about yet. And I firmly believe in all of that. Um, so I believe you'll get your indoor. 
you will someday. Thank you. As long as you know, that <laughs> that, that uh, uh, pilot light is still lit underneath my ass. <laughs> what my mom used to say, that pilot light never gets burned out under your ass. <laughs> no, mama, it don't. So... Yeah, so I feel you. Yep, 10x goals are extremely important to have. And for those of you that don't know, you just need to go buy the book and listen to it because I didn't get 15 minutes into the book and I was like, man, I need to go for a run. I have way too much energy. This is like, this is totally... Isn't it crazy how he just like makes you want to just do do something? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. So Maggie, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to spend with us today. Um, I have followed you on social media for so long now, and I feel like we're friends. I feel like I've got to watch (laughs) your goals grow and turn into achievements. I have so much respect for you, and it's truly been a lot of fun having you on the show today. I cannot wait to see you continue to kick ass this year, you and Puff and JJ. I cannot wait. So make sure to give Puff some love for me um, because I'm one of her secret girl fans, of course. (laughs) She's such a nice mare. You have such a great unicorn. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, please be sure to let us know where can everybody find you on social media. Um, well, first, I want to thank you for all your kind words, Amy. Those I don't think we ever get tired of hearing how great our horses are. At least I don't. Um, people can give me compliments, and they, you know, I'm like, okay, maybe they mean them, maybe they don't. But when someone compliments my animal, it's like someone giving your kid a compliment. You yeah. know, it just it means the world. So I really appreciate that. Um, as far as social media, I only have Facebook, Maggie Polonsic. I'm kind of at my friend's limit. So if you have sent me a friend request, I'm not intentionally ignoring it. I just, I'm almost at 5,000 and I don't know what I'm going to do with all of that. Yeah. Um, but Instagram, I actually kind of prefer and it's just at Maggie Polonsic. It's just my name. Um, so it's pretty easy to find and it's not private. So you can go on there and creep all you want. And it's mostly horse stuff. So Good, <laughs> that's, that's what, what you'll get. Love. You can find Maggie on Facebook and Instagram at Maggie Polonsic. That's P-O-L-O-N-C-I-C. Be sure to follow Herpuff and JJ on all of their adventures traveling across the U.S. this year because 2022 ain't seen nothing yet. Be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button on Spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast. By sharing on social media, it helps others just like you find this podcast. I'm still considered a new podcast in this giant sea of podcasters podcasting. So you can help me out by sharing your favorite episode and tagging us on your social media. Support for the Barrel Horse Life podcast comes from Draw It Out. You can purchase their complete line of products at LonePrairiePHS.com. And from WOCO. To find out if you're a good fit for Jamie's program, visit her website at woco, that's W-H-O-A-A-C-O.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys down the road.